everybody. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Kirk Fisher, who is a brain power training facilitator sometimes and at other times works with his own clients. Hi, hi Kirk. Hello, Nina. <laughs> and Hello, Kirk, Kirk, I first met Kirk about, um, I think it's about 10 years ago now when we had a little bit of an intake of facilitators and Kirk was head and shoulders, one of the best people that I met at that time. And he's really come on board and you've done resilience training and leadership training. And um, we've, uh, we're sort of exploring how you can supply strategic planning training to our, uh, to our clients. But um, today's session is answering the question, now that the world has turned upside down, do we need to refresh our strategic plans? Because uh, when, even when we come, out, we come into recovery, it won't be the same world. So you got any comments on that, please, Kurt, by way of introduction? Uh, yeah, I think that it's a really interesting time to be uh, thinking about strategic planning and systems thinking and how we do our business. One of the things that's really come forward, you know, is how much the personal and the global are so much more interconnected that one person's choices really can have major ramifications for the yeah. whole world. We're all experiencing that right now. Yes. And uh, so this also has implications that myself and some other people doing some work around this have been thinking about how this impl implies new ways that we need to be thinking about strategy. Absolutely. So you're going to give us some guidance today. And um, I guess my first question is, what are the, some of the difficulties you've seen with how strategic planning happens? Yes. Well, um, one of the big things that happens is that strategic planning happens often at an executive level. It results in a big, huge book or a binder that sits in someone's desk drawer. And uh, no one really knows what's in there, even the people who wrote it, because it's so big. So there's a lot of emphasis now in one-page strategic plans. And more than that, plans that are fluid and constantly being updated, the constant sense of feedback around how they uh, go. I wrote in a recent newsletter about this idea that you're driving down to Lorne, you're driving down the Great Ocean Highway, there's a windy, curvy, beautiful place. Uh, and there's, you know, the you, uh, in this picture, imagined picture that I have, the roof is down on a convertible that we borrowed, the music's on, everybody's having a great time. All of a sudden, and this is a major implication right now, the mm -hmm. fog rolls in. We're not quite so clear about where we're going or what might be coming around the corner at any moment. So what happens? The roof comes up, the music comes down, people have a lot less fun, people are anxious, people are shouting advice and so forth. And so this is one of the things when we don't really know where we're going, when we don't have a clear sense, even if it is in unknown times about how we might be proceeding, that the same thing happens in organizations. We slow down, we're not having fun and so forth. So this is one of the things that uh, we need to look at. How are we making sure that people have a sense of forward progress, even if it's complex, even if it's a, 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 the kind of thing where there's a lot of unknowns. If people have a sense and confidence that there's a plan, people will be able to move forward much more easily. There's also this idea that one size fits all. Uh, sometimes we use the same management structures for strategic planning that we've always used. Uh, and those are really meant for technical, simple problems. But when a problem involves people, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> involves people. Who knew? Uh, you know, if you have any more than three or four people, already you're building complexity into it. If it's a, a plan that has dynamic change as part of it, or where there's more than one moving parts, then we need to start to have a strategic plan that includes much more as well. So having the right size and length and involvement and richness of strategic planning is important in terms of one size doesn't fit all. And um, just a final one is that we can't just do a plan and expect people to follow it. That uh, we need to be growing our people. We need to grow our culture, our leadership at the same time. If I had a major health problem, for instance, the doctors could give me pills and give me an operation or something. But if it's something that involves me learning to have a better diet, a better health plan, get better sleep, that's sort of an adaptive problem that we need to be addressing as well. So both of those go hand in hand, the systems and the people. Because what I'm hearing, Kirk, is that people have mindset and behavior. And you can't have a plan without incorporating that and also in getting them to embrace the plan. Absolutely. And you have to constantly, like um, Cotter talks about, see, feel, change. Mm -hmm. You actually have to have a constant reminder that there is this plan. Yes. And it has to be meaningful to people too. The more and more we move away from a um, factory model of what organizations are, realizing that people are motivated by doing some good in the world. People are motivated if their plan includes how they are connected to each other. And if there's a sense of creativity, when our frontline people who often don't see those strategic plans, when our frontline people though can be encouraged to be thinking six to 12 months down the line and to be thinking about what's the outcome for my clients rather than just following the process, then we've really done a great job with strategic planning at that point. And that has to be included as part of that. That's right, because people have to focus on what's important but not urgent. And that's what forward thinking is about, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Now, are there different ways to address strategic planning in different situations? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, we can see it along a spectrum. Again, if it's a simple technical operational plan we need, we might, you know, start there's three main components to strategic planning. One is uh, a map, you know, a developing a sense of a gathering the data about where we are. So for a simple one, we might do a SWOT analysis, a steeple analysis. We might use some of those really great tools that gather information about what's happening in the industry and in our client's world and so forth. If it's something bigger, something more complex, uh, I tell a story about uh, one of the towns here in Northern Victoria that burnt down during the um, uh, Black Saturday many years ago, we were involved in how we were going to rebuild that town. And so we had to get not just a SWOT analysis, but we had to get everybody who was involved with that town who would be impacted and being subscribing to that. So we had shop owners, we had summer people, we had the citizens, the police department, the schools, all of them thinking about how are we going to, we had a big paddock signed out and everybody was there for three days just talking about what makes this town the way it is and what do we need to bring forward into the future. That's a lot more involved process than doing a simple SWOT analysis. Absolutely. Mm. And so there's, there's a spectrum for each of the areas of both mapping. Uh, the next part is centering in a lens type of. Oh, yes. What, what are the key for a simple one? It might be what are the key strategic drivers for this company? 
and, and really centering on those as the mental models of how we're going to proceed. For, uh, others, uh, for other situations, it might be building some prototypes about what these things that are going to be tested and evaluated. And, and then, I was going to say prototypes is part of design thinking too, isn't it? So yeah. is design thinking part of strategic Yeah, thinking? more and more that IDEO mm -hmm. model of, of design thinking is more and more a part of strategic planning when we get to more complex types of things that are not just looking for the right answer, but going to be needing to test and feedback and give feedback and, and iterate over and over again. Is management obtaining feedback or requesting feedback enough in your observation? Or do they keep it as a management only um, plan? I, I think people are, uh, of course feedback happens, but is it feedback around the strategic plan? Often not. And one of the things that really great companies do uh, is if the strategic plan is, is about a shift from uh, business as usual to more a sense of we're going someplace, which is of course very motivating, that needs to be a part of every single faculty meeting, that needs to be a, uh, every single staff meeting, that needs to be a part of every company meeting, a part of what clients, clients should be able to know something about what our strategic plan is. This is a company that has this as its current value that we're trying to improve upon. Cotter, you mentioned him, he talks about in his book, A Sense of Urgency. You walk into some places and they have all their success stories up on the walls. Other places they say, here's where we're going. Here's what we're trying to fix. Here's a problem that we don't know how to solve quite yet. And that sense of going someplace has to be a part of the... Ah, so it sounds like some organizations in their um, enthusiasm to celebrate wins are almost living in the past or resting on their laurels. Instead of, okay, once you've achieved a goal, then you actually have to set some fresh goals. That's right. Yeah. What and the you have to change before you have to. Can you say that again? You have to change before you have to, said Jack Welch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah actually, and how, how do we keep it from, not, from just becoming a plaque on the wall, though, is, is a really major, you know, part of this question. Now, you've actually helped people proceed through a strategic planning process. Yes. Have you got any stories or examples of how that might occur? Absolutely. Um, one of them, a, a local government situation uh, up in New South Wales, they'd lost all their primary industries. This is about 10 years ago. And uh, they'd lost with that all the people who had worked with those primary industries moved out of town. So they'd lost their middle class. And the town is really foundering. They had a very strong sense of despair and Nothing is going to change and nothing's going to happen. I met, met with some of the leaders of that town, uh, the local government organization. And, uh, and so we spent three days really looking at uh, where, what is this, what is the nature of this town and what is the nature of this situation? And out of that, they got a, you know, as they started to look at their situation, they got a really strong sense of what it is that they had to be, if they were going to move forward, they had to realize what is the mental model of forward motion that made sense to them. And they came up with the idea of a lighthouse, that this organization had to be a lighthouse for the town that would give people hope, give people a sense of how to proceed. And using that then, they started to build this whole stream, you know, using that mental model, they said, well, this implies this, and started to look at some uh, actual operational things that would be in line with that. And then over the next two years working with them, they started to put those things into place. It involved skills development and so forth. 
but that's one example of a very complex uh, problem being solved. And of course, sounds like you use metaphors to actually motivate people or to give them an, uh, a, a really visceral sense of, you know, what the, what the plan is so mm -hmm. they can sort of internalize it. Yes. We do remember stories and metaphors much more than we remember strategic plans. <laughs> and um, well, what are some of the surprises you've had when you've been doing um, working with strategy with different uh, teams? You know, every single time we go into, you know, if we start to go into this with a sense of real discovery, really inviting in data, really inviting in people who might not normally be included, there's all sorts of discoveries. One group of engineers I was working with who worked for a large alternative edu uh, energy company, uh, they came in with a sense that there was a real gap between themselves and their CEO and uh, the CEO you know, level teams. And as we started to really look at the information and get people's uh, actual feedback into things, they started to all of a sudden see that all along the CEO and his, and his team had been asking for them to step up in a different way. And they were really surprised and, and very touched as we started to do like causal loop diagrams of, of what was actually happening in the organization. They saw that there, where they thought there had been disconnect because they were being disrespected, they saw that what was needed was them. They were the missing piece in this. And so they really learned to step up. Um, a, a, another one was looking at that uh, town that burnt down. As they started to get information, one of the things that really everybody could agree with is dogs. Dogs. Everybody said, yeah, yeah. This is a place where dogs could always find a drink of water. So they built their town with a sense that dogs needed to move around the town. And that was a major part of the soulfulness of what this town really wanted to project about itself. So there's all sorts of things that just come out that, you know, if you go into this with an honesty of, of um, purpose, uh, no one can know ahead of time what the final outcome is going to be. It's a sense of discovery again and again and again in surprising ways. Absolutely. Well, that's very interesting. Now, you talked about uh, looking at the data. By data, do you mean observation and having a non-judgmental observation of things as they really are? It can mean all sorts of things. It's, it can mean stories from people. It can mean actual, you know, metrics that certainly... We're going to need some of those things. Uh, uh, one one of the things that's really helpful is to you mentioned stories. Uh, there's a there's an exercise where we get people to name stories about a time where you most were most proud to belong to this organization. Oh, those are statements of value, and then people share those stories and to say, "Oh yes, I love that." You start to condense them and see what stories emerge as the three or four most pivotal stories. Once you have that, you have a really clear and living sense of the values of that organization. That's data. That's really important because that's about morale. That's about the stories that new people to the organization when they on board here, because I can remember joining a rather large uh, government organization before I had a training company. And all I was met with people that said, oh, I don't like it here and I wish I could leave. <laughs> and I go, Oh, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so uh, people have to have this good sense of morale. They have to support each other. Now, uh, when you were talking about, uh, in conversations we've had in the past, Kirk, you've talked about the ladder of inference, which is not assuming uh, 
motivation because what you said earlier about when you were talking about the causal loop diagram about people feeling disrespected but that might be just their perception they might actually not actually be disrespected but they're just uh in inferring from the data of the behavior around them that they're not being res uh, respected so yes uh, is that does that does that play into how strategic plan might yeah. Might manifest. Actually, I'd never made that connection, Nina, but you're absolutely right uh, that when you actually start to look at the data, people's beliefs and assumptions, you know, we have this great predictive behavior uh, ability, but sometimes it goes awry. So actually looking for the data can actually tell us where our beliefs are true to the data or where we need to adjust them. Now, I'm just going to address uh, the, uh, our audience right now, participants. Uh, we've reached our 15 minutes, and if you would like us to continue, pop a yes in the chat box. And as well, I'd really like maybe just a dot point of, of some key point that you've picked up so that we kind of know uh, where the emphasis has been. And um, uh, any questions, because this is really uh, your time to ask questions. And uh, uh, Kirk will be able to answer them. So just waiting for a few responses in the chat box. If you just could put yes, we, you'd like us to continue, then we will. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes, yes. We won't say who, but thank you. <laughs> it's great to see some of these familiar names, by the way. Yeah, that's nice. I think you have a fan club, Kirk. That's great. <laughs> well, I'm your fan as well. <laughs> uh, me and my lunchbox. <laughs> okay, so okay, so let's just continue. So um, I don't know what. Well, one of the things I like to make. Oh, I have to. Oh, someone has to leave. That's fine. Thank you. You'll get the replay. <laughs> yes, Sue. Um, one of the things that has been really interesting is in some of the conversations in that we're having around strategic planning is that you know there's fairly fairly internal type of process the main two things are what are our skills that we need and what are our processes that we need that's most strategic plans but more and more people have been thinking about how does this actually contribute to society how does you know my uh sense of what i'm doing here make an impact on people that i feel a real need to impact so some of the um uh, uh, companies that have a really strong sense of we're trying to help address uh, women in leadership, for instance. That's a, the people who are, are feeling that sense of, of global contribution will often be much more motivated. There's also a sense of connection. And, and as we said, that, that the, the personal and the global are much more fused now. And that needs to be a part of our strategic planning. And there's some really interesting ways that that's showing up in different ways that people are completing the strategic plans. And going back to our original question, is it pretty well a given that because the world has completely changed and it's unlikely to go back to exactly the same way as it was before, uh, even you know after recovery, that it's a given that all strategic plans have to be revisited? Yes. I think a good strategic plan will be both open and shut. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, not shut, but uh, it will be open and it, it builds in the sense of constant innovation, constant needing to, to flexibility in, in how it applies, particularly at the frontline level. Agility. Agility, yeah. But at the same time, have really strong sense of uh, what the principles that we're trying to apply here. Wow. So it's about part. values. 
it can be about values or just i would say operational principles you know uh values like excellence are 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 one way of stating them mm. and then having people constantly be developing that into actual operational ways that we show up with excellence have well. you ever worked with a company that didn't really have much of a strategic plan in the past and uh, how did that manifest in terms of their behavior or or achieving goals Thankfully, I haven't had to work with something like that. <laughs> I mean, oh, you mean like, a, you mean inside of a company or? Like, oh, well, I just. Or as a client. As a client. Had to work with them uh, as a facilitator. Yes. Just observe that they really have no idea of what their strategic plan is and have they even got one? And yes, they well, can tell you what it is. Yes. Uh, absolutely. That's uh, a big part of what was happening with that. Uh, that town that I mentioned, that there was a sense of hopelessness and a sense of blame, blaming, you know, whoever that could blame for why aren't we happy here? Why aren't things happening? It's just, you know, hopeless. Um, yes. And when you start to develop a sense of what can be done and who's responsible, that sense of agency, uh, I, I should say something about that, actually. Yeah. The sense, the, the sense of agency that needed to see a difficult situation and say i can do something about that that's actually quite a courageous yes. act and i think that one of the things we forget often in, in strategic planning is that we are eliciting that in the people who are going to be undertaking that that's a leadership question but that's also something that if you're getting everybody in that team to involve with those motivations to be courageous and taking on difficult problems is a part of it now, I've had an interesting comment come through the chat. Uh, we're doing our company strategic plan for the next four to five years during the next few weeks. Congratulations, well done. T starting with an updated SWOT analysis, since that's likely to have changed with current events. Would you agree that the SWOT analysis is, is a good beginning? Absolutely. Mm. And uh, along with SWOT, the steepled uh, analysis. Yes, you mentioned that earlier and I don't really know what that is. So yeah, the SWOT analysis, you, you know, strengths and weaknesses up in the top. The future centered is the bottom, to the bottom row. So strengths and weaknesses are the current, where we are now. Yeah. Opp opportunities and threats are in the future. Yeah. Steepled takes apart that to a greater deal. So it's looking at uh, systems, it's looking at technology, it's looking at the environment. Oh, you're going to test me if I can remember all the different. There's another E, obviously. <laughs> yeah, there's E E P L E and D. <laughs> I can look them up, but but we'll that, that just takes it a little bit more gritty detail around that. Yeah, yeah lovely. Yeah. And what other what other models do you use uh, when you when you? I mean, I know you talked about the the metaphor of the valley when you do maybe work with a team for maybe two days. Yes. Start on one side of the valley, go deep, and then you have to come out the other side, and you you're refreshed yeah. and renewed by that experience. Yes. That's uh, Otto Scharmer has a model called Theory U, which describes the U or the valley. Right. And you start off here. Uh, normally, we say, oh, there's a problem. Here's, here's a solution. And that's what we do all the time. We don't, we don't actually disrupt the process in order to do that. And if it's a simple technical problem, we can do that. But if it is deeper, we're going to have to stop. We're going to have to uh, keep from moving straight into solution and enter what he calls a period of not knowing and sensing. So this is what we did with the town. We had to, you, you had to spend a bit of time 
getting all the data you can, going down into the valley and not pretending to know what the solution is going to be, but sort of a sense of trust that, that we, you will find it. Down at the bottom of the valley, sorry, I should raise it. down at the bottom of the valley, around here is where he calls it co-presencing, where you take some time to start to center in on some possible solutions and what a solution would do, even if you don't know what that solution is going to be yet. This fits with Cotter as well, with visualizing the, the solution. And then up the, on the upward side of the valley, you're going to be prototyping, evaluating, and refining over and over and over again. You're get, not looking for one solution, but you're going to be continually looking for different ways that that solution can fit what you found in your presencing until you get to you narrow it down into uh, a solution that works. I visualize those slightly differently now, just because I've I found it easy works for people. Instead of saying co-presency, I use an image of a square or a map. Yes. Down here I call it about a lens because that's what yes. it actually does. And then that. here's a funnel to try and do an iterative. Process. Oh, that's a lovely three metaphor model. Yeah. Thanks, Kirk. Um, just to finish off, and if there are any uh, questions, uh, it's still time to put it in the chat. Um, I know that you are an expert at delivering content online. Would you conceive that it would be possible to facilitate the refreshing of a strategic plan, doing it as an online video conference, or is it something that we should wait until you know we can get face to face with physical distancing? Well, absolutely, it can be done. In fact, it's one of the interesting things about having portable handheld devices is that you can actually go and visit sites and talk to actual people as opposed to go away into a hotel someplace and do the thing. You know, you're actually on site with it. Um, if you are on site, I know that a lot of people are just uh, working from home now. But certainly, uh, there's a lot of things we can do online that we can't do face to face in terms of recording things, in terms of collecting data, uh, and um, having breakout rooms where we can do a lot of the same things we do face to face. That's right. I'm I'm finding breakout rooms when I'm in a participatory uh, Zoom that you do get to a deep level of conversation as if you were face to face. Mm -hmm. It helps if you do know the people, but then if you're working with a company, you do know each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it also gets over the fact that someone might've been sick that day or, or, or was, uh, was not at work that week. Mm -hmm. You know, they can actually participate through the recording. So I'm finding, I don't think the world is gonna go back to as much face to face as it used to be. Mm, perhaps, yeah. 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 But, the fact that you can actually liaise with teams and you don't have to delay. We, we can't meet because so-and-so is not here. Well, you just meet and so-and-so gets the recording. Get the recording, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, being here, everybody. And uh, if you do have any final questions, you can um, email me, Nina Sunday at brainpowertraining.com.au. Most of you would have had the um, email or an email from Kirk. If you've got your email from Kirk, you can talk to him. So thanks for coming today. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.